Hello, and welcome to the Uplifting Content Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Uplifting Content, Ioni Butler. And in each episode, I'll be speaking to a special guest about a topic that matters. Enjoy the show. Ben, how are you this morning? Or is it afternoon where you are now? Uh, just afternoon. I'm in New York. So how are you? Nice to see you. It's nice to be here. Thanks. Thanks. Good afternoon. I would love for you to start off this conversation with you sharing a little bit about your story, who you are, um, telling us a little bit about your book that we'll, we'll talk about, um, just so that people can sort of get to know who you are and, and what it is you've got going on in your story, please. Uh, sure. So um, the book, op- you know, I kind of, my story is really about, um, um, it's about personal transformation in, uh, in midlife, um, but it takes place over the course of a sabbatical that I took. And by way of background, and the reason I think listeners are interested, is I used to be the CEO of a public company called Take-Two Interactive. And Take-Two Interactive is the publishers of some really hot video games like Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, NBA 2K. Um, And I went on board to orchestrate a turnaround of the company, which is, um, and today the company is massively successful, but at the time it wasn't. And so, um, so I'm kind of, um, uh, I'm part investor, part operator, um, but involved in, um, in finance and in, in operations of businesses of large businesses for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you had a, tell me about what, and so you took a sabbatical and, and went to Bali with your family. And so I'm fascinated to hear about, um, what it's like being in this high flying position and, and having a job as a CEO of an organization like that and sort of helping it grow and things like that. Cause it's something that's completely um, foreign to me. Um, and so I'm curious to know what that was like and what was the catalyst that made you want to take this sabbatical? Sure. So look, being in, in a company, especially during a turnaround, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of risk and there are a lot of um, voices in the room, right? There are shareholders, there are employees, there's the board, there's everybody and everybody's kind of got, their own view of what should happen. Um, and it was a company that was troubled in many ways, mostly because of misdeeds that, um, you know, some, some previous management had, uh, had done. And um, I came in mostly as the turnaround guy and that company had operations all over the world. So for my life, it was really just kind of circling the globe multiple times a year, we had operations, gosh, in, uh, uh, Czech Republic, China, Australia, Singapore, California, Boston. I'm based in New York. So I was on an airplane a lot, and that's part of what's involved. Mm. Um, you know, we went in in a hostile takeover, and then while we're in, we were subject to a hostile takeover. So, it's, you know, I kind of feel like I've been both predator and prey in the context mm. of all of this. While you're trying to orchestrate a turnaround, while you're trying to deal with creative talent that are super talented um, and have a strong voice in, uh, in the room. And so um, there are a lot of balls in the air. There's a lot of um, uh, people and uh, interests that need to be considered. But for the most part, I'm, you know, I'm pretty disciplined in terms of focusing on delivering, you know, the company to create value in the company. And that can be defined in any number of ways. Um, and it's, it's team building. It's, there's a lot. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. And people, I kind of come secondhand to me at this point, but I realize that we're starting from, um, uh, you know, from the beginning, it's, uh, it's hard to kind of encompass all in one sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, 
you know, so while I was doing this and while I was circling the globe and um, orchestrating a turnaround in this company, um, I had four children at home and a, a wife and a family that I felt was not getting the better part of my attention. Mm. Um, and to be specific, I had a, I had four kids. The youngest, um, when I took over the company was about three years old. And my oldest was probably, oh, I don't know. He was probably in fourth grade, fifth grade. And then you kind of fast forward to the time I decided to take it. And I remember walking into uh, my apartment one day after work and I knocked on the door of my oldest son, my oldest son's room. And I just said, hello. And he just gave me this kind of grunt as you know teenagers do and then at dinner he kind of grunted some more and I had this flash it's kind of one of these moments of realization that I've been circling the globe for four years he's been in his room he's a serious student and he was studying and I kind of just he was about to enter high school and I just thought okay he's gonna enter high school he's gonna be sequestered in his room the entire time and then he's gonna go to college and he'll be out of the house and he's never coming back and it's all over mm. And then I thought about my youngest who spent the ages three to seven kind of not really knowing who I was. And I kind of talked to my kids and they kind of, they, they all gave me the same feedbacks, like you're never around. Mm. And I had this moment of realization of, you know, this is where men become the fathers and husbands they never meant to be. Mm. That they pursue their careers, they pursue their ambitions, they do, you know, one thing follows the next and it's very exciting. And and I believe me, I had a wonderful time um, leading this company. Um, and and there's you know there's a lot of fancy dinners and a lot of first class travel and all of that stuff, and it's um, it's intoxicating. And I realized I was suffering from a little bit of an addiction, frankly. Mm, an addiction so, to the to the work, to success and to right. achievement and mm -hmm. to all of that. Um, and that the relationships that mass mattered most to me in my life were being left behind. Mm -hmm or more benignly that I was experiencing all of this, but I was experiencing it alone mm -hmm. and not with the people that I really wanted to experience it with. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just kind of, uh, you know, I kind of had this moment and I sort of said, I, if I don't change, if I don't do something, you know, it's life is gonna choose me instead of me choosing the life that I wanted to lead. Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, with my wife, uh, after long conversations and a bunch of other people um, decided to take a break. And at one point I just went to my board and I sort of said, I've done everything you've asked me to do. The company, I've taken the company from death's door to one of the best positioned companies in the industry. Um, today, it's still one of the best companies, position, best, best positioned companies in the industry. I've done everything you've asked me to do, but I owe my family some time. And mm -hmm. so I'm gonna step down. Um, and that was probably the, the most difficult, uh, risky, and painful decision of my career. Mm. Um, and, um, but I did it for something that I thought would be greater. Mm -hmm. and, um, and at that moment, I kind of stepped off this kind of this great trajectory and um, just went on a different path. So now I, um, I'd love to hear how, how long did you go? How long were you with the family in Bali? And, uh, and how was that trip? So door to door, it was eight months, mm -hmm. and six of which were in Bali. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, one of the things we thought about when we went to Bali was where to send our kids to school. Mm -hmm. And um, and it turns out the school was kind of a really important part of the experience. Um, 
there's a wonderful place in Bali called the Green School, um, built by John and Cynthia Hardy. Um, John Hardy, some of you may know, is kind of the name behind John Hardy jewelry brand. Um, and he uh, he has an amazing story, but he arrived in Bali when he was 18 years old. And um, when he sold his company, many years later, he just decided he was going to build a school um, that was dedicated first and foremost to environmental studies, um, mm. but also, but equally um, for create that stood for creativity and joy of learning. And um, and for my kids who were in private schools in New York and kind of living that kind of life where it's it's like you know college 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 college, and here was a school that was deliberately not about that and it mm-hmm. was about cultivating creativity and frankly the kind of skill set that um, their generation I think really needs. Um, it was an amazing eye opener um, uh, to put my kids in that uh, in that environment and in the school itself just the just the the physical architecture of the school is just kind of these cathedrals of bamboo in the middle of the jungle it's all out of sustainable materials it's just an extraordinary experience for everybody tell me the name one more time i'm gonna write that down and have a look after we uh, talk. it's called it's called the green school green school in bali okay cool in bali sounds um, cool and well you'll yeah it, it, it's it's an amazing place mm. and is an amazing couple mm-hmm. and so that was um and that was a great part of our experience and um um and then for me personally um, you know, after all the stimulation doing what I was doing, I kept turning to my wife and saying, well, what am I going to do once about, I'm like, I have no idea what to do with my time. I'm so used to things moving so fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, she goes, well, you'll just be bored. It'll be okay. You'll be bored. And I'm not okay being bored. Um, <laughs> and so I, um, uh, you know, I had read a book that really kind of caught my interest and I kind of made that one of my goals. And the book was called, um, Joyful Wisdom by Yonggi Rinpoche, and um, it's a book about, sort of about meditation, but it's really kind of written by a guy who grows up in Nepal um, with what he would describe today as severe anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm. um, and finds himself in a monastery and becomes a Buddhist monk, and then finds his way to the West and kind of sees all these people with their shining cars and their... um, the shopping malls and all the rest of it. He just thinks, oh, people here must be so happy. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of realizes what's going on. And the book is kind of really an inquiry into what's going on and also kind of a, um, an antidote to it, which is basically mindful meditation. Mm-hmm. So I made one of my goals to kind of learn how to meditate in Bali. Um, I took up yoga. I took up um, art and painting. I turned into an artist along the way. And I really kind of felt that I had rewired my mind into a whole different way of being as opposed to kind of doing, doing, doing all day long, I was mm. learned how to be in this world without necessarily having to achieve something, without mm-hmm. necessarily having to succeed at something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an extraordinary thing to have done for me and for my family to just sort of um, be with them and, and fully and not having any distractions. And I was tempted along the way when I got there, you know, they asked, somebody asked me to join the board of that school. Mm-hmm. and um, some entrepreneurs ask, you know, hey, would you mentor me and all that stuff? I did agree to mentor one, but for the most part, I really sort of said, I'd love to, but this is really, I'm, if I don't take this time now, I'm never going to get it again. <laughs> yeah. and so You're just switching one, one role <laughs> for another, just further away from home. Right, exactly. Yep. So, um, and it was just kind of this extraordinary thing. And the book is really um, uh, an account of what was going on in my mind at the time. And that transition of um, going from somebody who's 
spends his time um, doing things and accomplishing things and striving and um, looking for success all the time and kind of taking a moment at the right time of life. Look at, at, at the wrong time of life, it would have had no impact, but at the right time of life, when um, people begin to ask these kind of questions, um, it was really, really impactful to sort of sit and be contemplative for a little while and really mm -hmm. think about the kind of life I want to lead and the kind, you know, what, what I, my life to that point and, you know, what I wanted kind of the next period to be. So what, what was the, um, from working nonstop, I'm assuming, what, what was that like spending time with your family? What type of stuff did you do? Um, were they at school a lot? I mean, how so, was that? I'm sure it was different. So the shocking thing, which mm -hmm. I should have anticipated, right? Like the blinding flash of the obvious. Mm -hmm. It's like I get to Bali and I realize that I am with my wife all day long, every day, breakfast, <laughs> lunch, and dinner. Nobody has any place to hide. It's just, it's just two of us. And you kind of realize, you know, for all these years of marriage, that's never happened. Wow. That had, for all those years together, we were never together all day long, you know, for weekends and yeah. holidays, yes. But not day in, day out, month after month, you're just all day long. Yeah. And the truth is, you know, Bali attracts a lot of people that are really trying to figure something out in their lives. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people that show up in Bali with marital problems, mm. and, um, with the hope of fixing them. And a lot of them end up in divorce. And that's, I mean, that is a resolution of, of um, some sort. Mm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't go to Bali to fix my marriage. I kind of went to Bali so that I, my marriage wouldn't get destroyed by my work, but in mm. part, but, um, but all of a sudden I kind of realized like, well, I really need to get to know my family again. Yeah. Not just my yeah. wife and my kids. And, um, and that's mostly what I wanted to do is just get to know them again. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't always easy. And, you know, we had, everybody, we all had our moments and um, it's hard to throw everybody into that situation. We don't have work to hide behind, hide mm -hmm. behind the kids had school, but really wasn't the kind of school they were, you know, they didn't really have any homework. It, it was really, they were around a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, be, you know, you begin to get to know each other. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of um, the hard part of it. The fun part of it was, um, you know, we we're in the middle of Southeast Asia where none of us had ever been before. And we used it as an opportunity to look around and get to meet people from different cultures, and different countries. And um, my kids, you know, noticed the sense of political awakening as they began to realize um, you know, the impact of human beings on the earth and kind wow. of the whole environmental agenda that had, you know, that gets ignored in the schools that are trying to get their kids into colleges where it's just kind of banging home math and history and English and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it really taught them something about global citizenship and mm. taught them about their role and their place in the world and how they wanted to spend their time and how they wanted to contribute. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I felt we all kind of learned a lot. And then, you know, there was, so there's a lot of learning. Um, I had a lot of learning and, uh, and then it was just kind of, you know, we take weekend trips every now and then took a weekend to Singapore and, and on the way back, we decided to travel through Southeast Asia. So mm -hmm. we, um, you know, Swiss family Robinson, I guess, I don't know, but we were, um, you know, went to Cambodia and Vietnam and we're just tourists as between yeah. the two, I must say that sitting in one place, I, people ask me now, cause I, people come to me when they're thinking about doing this and some mm -hmm. people do. You know, we're thinking about traveling the world or maybe we should go one place and I really my advice to all of them is stay in one place and get to know the place because you get tired of being a tourist after a while yeah I agree 
I was traveling for three months last year and it, and it, while it was, it was wonderful, you never quite settle. You're always, everything is trying to figure out every day. Where am I going? What am I doing? This is a, and so it is nice to just sort of, to be and absorb a culture and and a place rather than just kind of flight, be flighty through it. Um, I love what you've done. And we've got a message from Joshua saying, good for you, Ben, for making the family choice and becoming mindful. Great story. Thanks for sharing. Um, And, um, and I love, I love what you did. And I feel like it's so important that people do take this time to spend with their families, but it's, it must be so difficult for people. Um, I, you know, I, my mom, mom was a single mom and worked really hard and, and had to do that. And so I don't know, how would you advise people who might not be able to go to Bali for like, to take this time off? Um, is it, is it a choice that you can make as a person or does this, does this need to be like a society changing thing? Because if parents have to work, you know, and they're kind of in the business they're in, you're kind of work, 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 work. What do you advise? Because I mean, I, I feel for people, I think it must be really tough. I've sort of set my life up where I, I don't have a nine to five or a, you know, six to 7 p.m., which some people do. Um, how, how, how would you propose that they kind of navigate that and, and bring back some time with family when you've got money stuff? And I, I, I have a number of answers to that. Um, mm. One is I have, first of all, I have a deep appreciation for you know, being in a company, you meet a lot of people. Um, and even in my new job, I kind of mentor a lot of younger people. I mean, I mean they're, they're, I think when you look at corporate America and, and elsewhere, people are dying in their cubes, right? They're spiritually right. dying. They're right. dying in their cubes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is this sense of awakening you get when you take yourself out of that. Right? Mm-hmm. You kind of realize it's like this matrix moment of like, mm-hmm realize you take the red pill or the green pill and you kind of and and you kind of you realize that you're kind of part of this machine and until you kind of pull yourself out of it you don't really um understand that you need a little bit of resistance to claim your own life mm-hmm. um and so um you know i had the awakening after i actually took the action but i think it's possible to have that kind of awakening while you're doing what you're doing so that it doesn't doesn't grind you down as much as it tends to grind people down that's kind of one answer. The other answer is that, um, you know, when I was in Bali, I met a lot of people there that um, had very limited means. You know, my friends were nurses and teachers and farmers and, and doctors and, you know, and some with debt, some with family problems at home. Everybody's had kind of their own issues. And, you know, everybody, and the truth is Bali was a very open place and everybody had their cards up on the table. Um, but I don't think you need a ton of money to do what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. There's a wonderful to do this. Sorry, we need some money to do this kind of thing. Um, there's a wonderful book that I recommend for people that are interested in doing this kind of thing, um, and it's called Escape 101: How to Go on Sabbatical Without Losing Your Money or Your Mind. Um, and I met lots of people there, by the way, who sort of said, look, we decided five years ago we're going to do this, and so instead of going to the movies, we said we're not going to go to the movies this weekend. We're going to save the money so that we can go on a sabbatical in five years and it takes long-term planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are lots of places in this world you can go to where it doesn't cost you very much to live. Bali's a really, really cheap place to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can save. And for us, frankly, you know, we rented out our, our place in New York and that rental income paid for the entire sabbatical. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's possible. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing I would say is, you know, when I, um, when I went, when I, people found out that I was doing this. Everybody said, God, I wish I could do that. And my initial response was, why don't you? And, right. And, and then there's, 
And then there's this like this litany of reasons people don't give. And you know what? I stopped believing mm-hmm. it after a while. I was like, it's a mindset. It's a total it mindset. is. If you really, if you really want to do it, do it. And if you don't want, if you don't, don't make the excuses. Cause I, I mean, I've heard them all. I have heard them all. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't minimize single moms and I don't minimize any of that stuff. But, um, I, I firmly believe that if this is something somebody really wanted to do, they figure out a way. Yes, you do. And it's, it's definitely a choice. I've, uh, I made the decision on Sunday to, to go to Tokyo this coming Sunday. Um, and, and like I decided on, I was thinking about it on Friday and was like, you know, direct flights are quite expensive and, it's like it's only going to be sort of I have one thing I have to get back for something so I was like it's only really five days in Tokyo but yeah and then it came to Sunday and I was like you know what I found some better priced direct flights and um and then I that it was like a money thing and I was like a money thing and but then some money had cleared from a job which nearly covered the cost of the flights and I was like just go and it's funny how we talk ourselves out of all this stuff and I'm, I'm so glad I did it and I had a friend that said to me you regret the things that you don't do you know, that some of the, the kind of the, the dying, the, the last words of the dying, they always regret the things they didn't do, not the things they, they did do. And for me, I'm, I'm very open. Like I, I don't have a lot of, um, I don't have a lot of, uh, you know, family or, or, or work pressures or things like that. And even still with all that freedom, I had to kind of force myself to poke myself over the edge. And so I get that it's difficult for people, but we do just have to give ourselves that little push and be like, there's no reason not just go, <laughs> just yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so easy to get tunnel vision into what our, you know, what our own issues in our lives and you get so, um, uh, so narrowly focused on our personal issues and in our own heads. And, mm. um, and what I think about when I think about when people talk about awakening, I think of that moment of just like seeing it, witnessing it from the outside and kind of seeing it with clarity for what it really is. And mm. it's just our, our own minds creating our, our, our little prisons that we put ourselves yes! in. Yes. And, Beautiful. And there's point. a way, and there's a way out. There's a total way out, and it's in your mind. Yes. Um, so now you've. It seems like you've done some personal growth and uh, sort of, yeah, just discovered this this spiritual side of yourself. How has that? Um, how is that now? How have you brought that into work? Um, how do you live your life now? Because I'm guessing you're you're back to sort of being in that CEO role. Um, I'm back in the work world and yeah. And, and, you know, some, some feedback I get from the book after from readers of the books, I'll go, Oh, how sad he went back into the business world. And, um, and I think it would have been a more, I think it'd be a less compelling story if I just kind of dropped out of society. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. um, uh, and I think it is, it is fundamentally the question about how, for me, fundamentally, like how can, how can you, um, still be part of this world um, and live um, in a much more mindful way. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to uh, withdraw and escape, um, but it's not really a solution to the problems that a lot of people uh, think about. And so I've developed my own practices. First of all, I developed a different way of being in the business world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have this, um, the sense of me to got to earlier, better than later, more is better than less. And mm. um, just go, go, go all the time. Um, I'm still fairly aggressive. And when I need to turn on my aggression, it's definitely available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I do it much more deliberately and less um, impulsively. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And I find, frankly, I'm more effective that way. And I'm more, uh, and in a way I accomplish more, right? I think it, people respond to it better than um, they used to. Um, and then for me personally, there are three practices that I picked up in Bali that I have maintained and I've incorporated them into my life. And um, one is meditation. The other is yoga, which is basically meditation with some movement with focus mm-hmm. on the breath. Um, and the third is I paint. And mm. to me, that's kind of like, I mean, to me, that's an artistic expression. And, um, you know, they talk about the state of flow that artists get into where time and um, time and space just kind of disappear into nothingness. And it's an amazing feeling. And that in itself is a bit of an addiction. Just kind of get that feeling. Yeah. Um, I try, I try not to attach to it, but it's a wonderful um, experience. And so with those three practices, I feel um, I can both, engage in the world as well as be grounded i can both be and do simultaneously yeah and believe me i have my moments i'm always overshooting things i'm overshooting equilibrium um but i have but i but i know what i need and i know um how to create a much fuller life for myself that is more than just withdrawing and is um and certainly more than just constantly being engaged all the time mm-hmm. push 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 um, I do it when I need to, but I, I don't do it if I don't do, need to. And I do find even in tough situations that whereas before I just kind of be re- react to things in a very um, uh, aggressive manner, I take a moment, right? I breathe right. and I, I respond rather than react. And I'm much more um, level about things. Yeah. So I feel like I've got these matrix moves going on. Um, and I feel like I have these uh, superpowers. That mm-hmm. allow me to, um, I don't know what to say, but allow me to, uh, you know, be in this world and be a effective professional in the more effective and better way and healthier way. Than I yeah. Have. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you for sharing your story and, and for your time today. I think it's definitely something that I, I, I just wish that people could all hear a message that everyone could hear specifically people that are kind of stuck in this constant corporate work 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 do 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 um environment and and i love that message of bringing that peace and centeredness back into your work because you know it's it's not practical for everyone to run off and spend the rest of their lives living in a forest in bali and so bringing that that peace to you the real world is is great um is there a what is um, a, a message or a, a quote or a, a thing that you live your life by that kind of really resonates with you that, that you'd like to share with people or a message, oh, even if it's not a, Oh, I, you know, I don't, there's so many. <laughs> you give me a couple. I don't mind. It doesn't have to be one. Well, first of all, I mean, one of the frames I have um, is uh, you know, a lot of things. I mean, so much of uh, whatever is in our heads is only in our heads, right? They're just yeah. thoughts. Yeah. They, they don't need to be believed. And so I'd question a lot of whatever you're thinking internally, whatever's blocking you, just kind of just subject it to kind of the Socratic method and make sure that, you know, what you're thinking is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And, um, kind of, that's kind of one. And then the other one I had actually before I went on sabbatical, that I still think is valid is what I call my 24 hour rule. Like whenever somebody kind of drops this giant turret on your lap and kind of ruins your entire day, <laughs> before you react, just mm-hmm. take 24 hours to resolve to, you know, cause your, your mind kind of is percolates solutions all the time, right? It may not be mm-hmm. in the conscious mind, but the unconscious mind really kind of the gears are moving. So just take a moment to um, 
take 24 hours to react, to think about things and react instead of, to respond instead of just reacting in the moment. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, brilliant advice, brilliant advice. And um, we will have the links to all of Ben's information in the show notes below. So um, you can find out more about him and his book, Take Off Your Shoes. We've also got the link to that in the description already. And um, I will see you guys. Well, I won't see you next week because I'll be in Tokyo. <laughs> But uh, on Saturday, I'll be speaking at the Love Yourself Summit in Los Angeles. And interestingly, a lot of the things that you have mentioned, Ben, are uh, points that I talk about. The topic of my talk is taking charge of your thoughts and your mind and, and changing your life. And so a lot of the things that you've touched on, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm talking about that. Great. <laughs> uh, for a 10% discount off the, um, off the tickets, use the code IONI. It's all over my socials if you wanted to book in for that. But Ben, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on early so I can get to my audition. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, all the best. It was really, really lovely to meet you. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Uplifting Content Podcast with me, Ioni Butler. I record these episodes live on the Uplifting Content Facebook page every Tuesday and Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific. So if you want to be part of the conversation, join our Facebook Live to share your thoughts and questions. Make sure that you're subscribed so that you get updated with the latest episodes twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. And if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us to reach more people and more listeners. So once you've done a review, email us a screenshot of your review to info at upliftingcontent.com and we will send you a special gift to say thank you. Lastly... The only way that you'll ever get notified from me is if you sign up for my weekly-ish email, which will have information about all our giveaways, what I'm up to, who's coming up on the interviews, just all the good stuff that you don't want to miss. So that's it. We'll have links to all that information in the show notes, and I look forward to hearing from you and seeing you on the lives, perhaps, soon. Bye.